What's good? What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Hogshaven Podcast, powered by SB Nation. You can find us at hogshaven.com, at hogshaven on Twitter and on Facebook. I am your host, Molly Maul. Jamal Force. You can find me on Twitter at Let Maul Tell It. Do not forget the you. Joining me on this good Wednesday evening is the good man, Kyle Smith for GM. You can find him on Twitter at Smith, the letter four in the two letters. I said the letter. Oh my goodness. I do this all the time. The number four in the two letters GM uh, following that. So um, he's joining me today. We're going to, you know what we're going to talk about the, the, uh, the Kirk Cousins um, reunion, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what to really call this. It. it wasn't, wasn't pretty. The, the, the meltdown in, at FedEx. I don't know. I'm, I'm still finding, I'm trying to find the words, but as I'm trying to find the words, let me go ahead and check in with the good man, Cassie. How he's doing, man. Appreciate you joining me. How's everything going for you this evening? It's going well. Thanks, Jamal. I look forward to the opportunity to talk about that game. Uh, I, you know, I, it was, it was frustrating. It was disappointing as, as you've indicated, but honestly, for about three quarters of the game, I felt like it was, uh, you know, even though the team was behind for a while, I, I actually thought it was one of the more enjoyable games to watch this year until sort of the backbreaking, uh, you know, uh, collapse at the end of the game. But, um, but uh, you know, I thought the defense looked pretty good for most of the game. And I thought Heineke looked passable for a lot of the game. Um, I obviously got really fortunate on that pass to Curtis Samuel. But until that final interception, you know, I was – I, I was counting counting my chickens before they hatched. I mean, I was really looking forward to you know writing the article about what a what a great game and sort of what a uh, complete uh, effort that had been, and and it just fell apart there really in the last half of the fourth quarter. Almost, it was um, frustrating as heck. Um, yeah, I think we're probably going to have um, several disagreements with. On, on this on this particular episode <laughs> uh, i want to get your thoughts though because you said you, you thought now um i i think that for from a macro standpoint we'll dive into it i think for um what, what really bothered me is that the way washington was playing now i think the the moment in which i thought washington probably had a good chance of winning is when they scored their on their touchdown drive it seemed like the momentum had completely shifted in their favor meaning their second touchdown um i thought that momentum had completely shifted in their favor and the way the defense was playing they played good enough to win the game and i think ultimately it doesn't matter how you get your lead um the defense is playing good enough to maintain the lead um, now you're going up against a quarterback in an offense who is capable of putting up 10 points in 10 minutes. Like that is that is not an impossible feat for them, right? But you like your chances the way your defense is playing. Like Jonathan Allen, um, Montez Sweat, Deron Payne, uh, and then over for like those three guys, speci- to be honest with you, specifically, um, actually all three of them. I'm sorry. I was, I was about to I was about to bam out, but all three of those guys was was really good. But from a collective, that defensive line. Um, they played a lot of the the, the five one front, um, and then also when they just ran, ran their regular four one six or their four two, um, you I'll, constant pressure, and and the the rush lanes were disciplined. Now Kirk Cousins just having the savviness to to uh, maneuver in a pocket, um, and create his own opportunity. You know he he had some wins, but ultimately like that defensive line was bringing pressure throughout the game. 
Uh, the rush defense was incredible. Um, you had a couple runs here and there, but overall, uh, they were completely sound uh, and disciplined up front. And it was it was crazy. So, like, you really liked your odds. And, and even on the back end, second and third level, secondary, uh, playing well, like, you had some one-on-one some -on -one losses, right? But from an actual communication and understanding who you uh, are supposed to take or who is your responsibility and, and what are the responsibilities that change, you know, if a, a certain receiver goes vertical or not, um, like, they just understood what they were supposed to do, um, minus, like, two or three breakdowns. Um, so with all that being said, like, yeah, you had a you had a really good opportunity with this defense. And then you look on the other side of the football and you're wondering, where's the help at? And for those who listen to the podcast all the time, I say this all the time. It's like the defense has been looking at these guys for the past few weeks and, and basically since week three or week two. And it's like, bro, help us help us win this game. And, and that's what really gets in the way. Uh, and, and unfortunately, this game against the Minnesota Vikings for me was a case of how a defense played really good and, and, and had a really good chance to win the ball game for Washington, but they weren't able to overcome uh, an offensive ineptitude and primarily Kyle at the quarterback position. That's what that's quarterback and then offensive line um, is what really hurt these guys uh, this past Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't say that, you know, Heineke was an all-star or, or even performed great. I just, I guess to, to sort of break it down, um, I felt like after that first drive that the Vikings had where they scored a touchdown, you know, to open the game up, I really felt like the the defensive game plan was about as, as good as it could have been with these guys. I mean, it was, you know, put let's put tons of pressure on Kirk. And they did. I mean, they, they rattled his cage. And, and to Kirk's credit, I mean, I think he's, I think he's grown since he was here. I mean, he he yeah, handled that boy battle. Yeah, you know? hell of a game. I mean that that pass to Dalvin Cook was that was a dime. That was you know just beautifully laid in there, and and he he managed it. it was unflappable. So yeah. um, I, I think to 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 squander a defensive effort like that hurts. And like you say, uh, even though Heineke was was not uh, great in the lead up to that interception. Um, he, the offense put up enough enough points on the board that if the team hadn't, um, you know, completely melted down there at the end, they probably could have won that game. I mean, they probably should have won that game. So, um, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk with you about today was it seemed, and I haven't looked at the all 22, but it seemed like Heineke was, was suffering from some of the same things that we saw from Carson Wentz pretty early in the season too, where he was dropping back, you know, seven, 10 yards uh, beyond sort of the, the radius that you could expect the tackles to protect him. And then he was, you know, having uh, either the guy, the ends get handed off from the tackles right into him to sack him or to create chaos. And he wasn't really staying in the protective bubble of a pocket. I know you're going to say, well, it wasn't much of a pocket, but it, it just seemed like there were several sacks that reminded me of Wentz sacks in that game. And I hadn't seen that from Heineke um, uh, so far in this season until that point. And I'm wondering if, you know, am I, did I pick up on anything that, that you saw or, or was he holding the ball too long or what was going on? I mean, somebody was saying recently, they thought maybe he was, he was take, he was looking for longer developing plays as opposed to sort of taking what, the defense was giving him, which maybe he had done better in the past couple of weeks, but I'd be curious to get your thoughts. 
Yeah. So, um, I think the person that, that the, the last person that you spoke with is, is more spot on, um, about, uh, or, or in the general vicinity, like it wasn't like the long, like the quote unquote long developing plays. It's the fact that he just didn't get rid of the football. Like you're looking at a, a person in, in, and I'm going to circle back to like the original question as well, but to to your point, I, I just think that he was a guy who was trying to do too much. Like he wasn't taking what the defense was giving him. I remember there was a couple ones that I highlighted on Twitter where you're talking about uh, it's as simple as drop back, get rid of the football. Like in a matter of like at the top of your drop, the ball, the, the, the pass is there for you to make. You just have to throw the football and he's holding on and, and, and whether he's indecisive or he's waiting for another route to open up, he's not, he's not giving this offense a chance and he's giving up on a play or he's not allowing the play to work itself. Like if, if there's a play there to be made um, within the offense, within the call, uh, Taylor Heineke was the person who was not um, executing. Um, and, and I think to, to even go further into it, like that pass to, to Curtis Samuel, uh, Taylor, Terry McLaurin, I, I always, for whatever reason, when I say Taylor and Terry all together, I, I confuse I mix up the names, but point being on the pass to to Curtis Samuel, that should have been an interception. You have the the concept of the play work to perfection. That dig route was wide open (laughs) and, and, uh, and, and when, so you have the post and you have the dig and the safety that's supposed to be over top of the dig ends up taking the post route. So you have the dig that's wide open in the middle of the field for at least 20 yards and you don't hit him. Um, another play like later in the game, excuse me um later in the game where on the scoring drive matter of fact the one that put him up 17 to 7 uh people forget to mention that like not only did that drive should have not ended in a touchdown right they, they got sacked um and they got sacked on third down that would have forced a, a a field goal attempt from um joey sly and, and and on that play where he took a sack you have your post route that's wide open with terry mclaurin screaming like jumping up like has nobody around him for a touchdown and and taylor heineke is looking to escape the pocket he gives up on the play way too soon uh he drops his head where he has time in the pocket and he's looking to to he's looking to get the first down with his legs versus standing tall in the pocket making the throw making the play that scott turner said hey it's here execute it was a coverage breakdown you cannot allow it um and 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 so i think for for those are those are some smaller some 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 simple examples or some quick ones that pop into my head um there were several throughout the game that was something similar to that matter of fact even the last drive when it was 17 17 and washington goes three and out not the one to antonio gibson that ends the game but the drive where it's 17 to 7 i'm excuse me 17 17 uh you have uh taylor heineke looking downfield and where where the the, the defense are is able to cover everybody but you have by uh brian robinson open in the flats for for five seconds and 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 heineke rolls out to his right and ends up throwing the ball out of bounds where as if instead of like having a three and out you have an opportunity for for brian robinson to to give you a first down and extend the drive and you're talking about a whole different outcome if, if taylor heineke is able to execute within the offense if you don't see something check it down and, and I think for, for all of the things that has been going on throughout the, the three-game period with Taylor uh, being in, this was probably – not probably. This was his worst game. Like, he started off bad against the Packers, and, and we acknowledge that. And, and for those who are listening, if I don't know how loud the noise is in the background, but I have people working in my home, <laughs> um, and I apologize in advance for the noise, and I hope that my voice uh, is at least loud enough 
um, to overcome the noise that you may hear. <laughs> but back to the back to the conversation, uh, Cal. I just think for for uh, the, the Packers game, you know, he had his first few drives that were terrible, um, but then he overcomes that. This game, he really didn't have like he he had like um a small a small handful of positive plays uh, based on you know, what the defense gave him and based on, you know, the decisions that he had to make um, too many times where he stared down his receivers too many times where uh, he just uh, either he stared down his receivers or he held onto the football too long. And those don't mesh well. And, and for all of those issues, then we're not even talking about the other problems because again, while I said that he's the main issue, offensive line was next. <laughs> um, they didn't, they didn't do their job at all either. Uh, whether it's pass protection or uh, in the run game as well. Um, I, they didn't do their job either. So it's a it's a long winded response, but it's just the truth of the matter in terms of like a, a full encompassing answer of why Taylor Heineke didn't work out this game. And that's just not even speaking towards the other issues that this offense had, which, again, like I said, offensive line really not standing a chance against the Darius Smith, uh, Daniel Hunter and uh, number 98, who I keep forgetting his name um, for the, the Minnesota Vikings. But it was a long day for these guys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the line continues to be a problem looking at the, looking at the PFF grades right now. I mean, both Lucas and Larson scored really poorly. Even Leno scored um, tremendously poorly. Yeah, Leno, had a, Leno had a rough day. Yeah. That, that man, Zadarius Smith, he, he met his match in terms of power. Charles Leno met his match. Yeah. It was, it was a, it was a rough day. So, but, you know, I, again, I have this question of, like I say, it looked to me like the tackles were getting into a situation um, like it happened with, with Wentz earlier in the season where the quarterback was dropping back so far, he was sort of out of the, the radius that they could reasonably protect, particularly with a, with a really um, effective defensive end there. And, and I'm wondering if that was something that you saw or agree with or whatnot as well. Um, you know, when, when again, the, the defensive end is sort of <laughs> pushing the, the tackle back five or six yards and, and um, ultimately back into the quarterback who has, has sort of um, dropped back beyond that protection, how much of that's on the quarterback versus how much of that's on uh, what the tackle can reasonably protect. And it just felt like this was, this was a Heineke that was uh, not taking enough of the, the easy stuff and really – um putting more pressure on his offensive line than he needed to that's not the you know that's not to um give the the line a pass but you, you kind of got to know what you're dealing with you know i mean if, if your line is only capable of certain things then you're as a quarterback you need to get rid of it more quickly and that might take away part of the playbook i don't know i just i was frustrated by that all day um yeah i i think to answer that like directly is it, it'll be tough because you know I think the the drop back depends on, you know, what the play call is and what the play requires. Um, and then on top of that, uh, you got to take into account the the pass set that the offensive lineman takes. Like there was one instance where, um, where Charles Leno got beat on the play, and 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 it maybe it just may just happen to be the one that you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know, but um, Charles Leno took a vertical set, a vertical pass set. And, and for, for those who are listening, I've brought it up before, but just in case uh, we forgot. Um, so what a vertical set, everybody, is um, 
like there's there's three different ones you can take a 45 angle which is like just just the angled on your when you drop back you're taking an angle that's kind of towards the 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 hips of the defender wherever they are like if they're on the outside like you're trying to meet them halfway and establish like a half man relationship like you want to meet them halfway so you can cut off any rush path like an inside or outside rush path and then you have a a jump set which is an aggressive one right where you can you know like uh what's the best way to describe it uh take like a step or two back into your pass set and then uh, aggressively attack the defender uh with like a lunge in a sense right and then you have a vertical where you are taking like a straight like as it sounds like a straight a straight drop on the the side of the quarterback um and, and the reason why i explain it like that is because um taylor heineke on one play in particular had took like a maybe like a five to seven step drop and charles zeno is taking a vertical pass set which is um by its nature it keeps him closer to the quarterback um so he's not out wide he's not taking the aggressive jump set right and he's not taking that 45 angle so he's not too far away from the quarterback and what that means is if you're susceptible to power you're going to get driven back into the quarterback and it just so happens that he takes that vertical set and he's going up against the Darius Smith who dropped no no number 98 that's what it was number 98 drives him into Taylor Heineke and and that's at the top of Taylor Heineke's drop to your to your question I'm, I'm just trying to give insight because it all depends on like how everything is is, is taken into account and and I don't know if everybody like who has those sentiments, who who brings those things up in terms of like those, like the depth of a quarterback. Uh, I think sometimes, you know, people can just default to it if, you know, they're not entirely too sure. And I'm not talking about you in particular. I'm saying like, that's how Twitter works sometimes. Like, like if you don't know too much, you just go, go to what you hear and you just recycle it. And, and that's again, not a criticism to you. It's more so like how you, how people understand things that they really don't understand. And that's me telling you, I don't know what's required on every single play. And we shouldn't assume that we should know, like we're just understanding what we see in the moment and how they execute exactly what they're supposed to do. And so you have certain drops that they're supposed to take. And then you have certain pass sets that these guys are taking. You only have, you really have three. And if you have a guy in Charles Leno taking a vertical set and he's not able to withstand the power of number 98 or even Zadarius or even Daniel Hunter, and he's getting driven back into the quarterback without being able to sustain that power, it's going to look bad every time. And that's going to look bad for any quarterback who, who reaches the top of his drop and he got pressure on his backside, his blind side. So um, I hope, I hope that answered your question in terms of like me yeah, telling no, you, it, I don't it, it, know, but it's a reason why I don't know. And I think we should all understand that it's, it's hard to really sit here and say, no, no, it's, it's helpful. And, and 98 uh, was DJ Wanham, I guess is his name. Okay. Uh, but, okay. but uh, yeah, no, no, that's, I appreciate that insight. And, and like I say, um, it was clear that, that something uh, that the Heineke was not like on his a game for a lot of that, for that, a lot of that game. But the reality is even, not playing incredibly well, uh, sort of absent some some really boneheaded mistakes, both on his part and then on the part of some of the other t- players. Um, I think they win that game. I mean, even if Ridgeway hadn't jumped, you know, at the end there, and let's say that they had an extra timeout from when Ron threw that ridiculous challenge flag. Oh, Lord. So there's like, you know, a minute and a half left or something like that. Yeah. I, I, you know, the odds that they that they could get into field goal range 
I don't know, 60% or something like that. I mean, it's not, you know, especially if they, uh, and you got a timeout left, you got a timeout left, you know, it's, it's, it's doable. It's, it's manageable. It's probably, you know, a kick at the edge of Sly's range, but, but, you know, we, we all know that that's when Heineke performs the best is like when he's got just like almost no, you know, no, uh, relief there. So I, I was really looking forward to that. Um, and yeah. there, you know, I don't, I don't, the, the rookie, you know, he made a stupid mistake, but you know, it, it happens, I guess. Yeah. I don't want to, yeah, that I, I'm, I'm with you. Like it, it does happen. And it's kind of crazy to see the overreaction on game day, at least Um, yeah. to, to understand that, you know, John Ridgeway has done so much good <laughs> for this defense, especially in the run game. And, and yet we want to cut him because he made a mistake uh, on special teams. Well, um, so let's, uh -huh. yeah. I just want to say one thing that I saw in sort of the follow-up to that game was that apparently, and this this gets to, you know, the sort of game within the game in terms of uh, management. Apparently on uh, maybe it was one of the extra points or something like that, the, the Vikings staff saw that Ridgeway tried something similar earlier in the game. They brought it to the attention of the referees. And so the refs were looking for it. And I mean, it was maybe a little egregious anyways on that uh, field goal attempt. But, but they had been tipped off by the coaching staff of the Vikings. And it's like, look, coaching, you know, coaching obviously makes a difference in terms of play calling and scheming and that sort of thing. But, but the sort of elements of the ways that the coaches can intervene, whether it be a challenge flag or a poorly uh, timed timeout or priming the refs for certain kinds of things, good teams, good coaches do that kind of stuff. And I just don't see – in our case, I mean, I can't remember the last time I, I thought, well, our coaching staff really out outfoxed those guys or whatever. You know, it's usually, why the heck did you throw that flag, Ron? You had two downs to go one yard. Like it was no, there was no reason at all to do that. And and whatever he says, something about the analytics or whatever. Um, and and the, we're supposed to accept that as uh, a yeah. It's really frustrating. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, man. Um. I don't trust this coaching staff. Uh, it, it's too much. It's it's consistently inconsistent. Um, like some days they'll be good in in terms. Of, now, now they're never really good with clock management. Let's be clear with that. <laughs> but sometimes they'll they'll be good in terms of like a, a game plan and how they execute it. Like their their approach in the Green Bay game, right on both sides of the football. You understood it. It wasn't that you know uh, the the game plan and the approach wasn't good, right? Like again, initially the offense just wasn't executing. Um, and then all, all of a sudden they started clicking. But but back to the point, um, yeah, I, I don't trust them in clock management. And that's very important. When you have two-minute situations, when you have four-minute situations, when you're trailing and you need to save time, or if you're up and you need to manage the clock uh, properly or something like that, can you trust these guys on a week-in and week-out basis to make the right decisions? Um, and, and it really is – and when I say them, I, you know, everybody understands we're talking about Ron Rivera. <laughs> it's really him. Um, and, and the answer is no. Uh, and I don't, and that's not good. Like if you have on, on game day, if you're, if your responsibilities are delegated to your coordinators and your assistant coaches and things like that, and you have like one job on game day and you aren't that good at that one job, that's a problem. And, and I'm, I don't know what his full game day duties are, but I'm assuming based on how these guys are operating that he, he has delegated a lot. Like he doesn't have that much responsibility, which is not, a, it's never like if you delegate, that's cool. Like it's no bad thing, but you just got to make sure what you do on game day is working and that you're good at what you do. And um, he struggles. <laughs> he yeah, struggles, I mean, man. And, and it's, it's frustrating. I'm, I'm 100% agreeing with you, man. I don't know how you can really consistently win in that fashion. 
um, unless you have a Cam Newton and a Luke Keekley. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you think about earlier, I can't remember which game it was, but earlier in the season when he was too slow on the draw to throw the challenge flag that was obvious. Philadelphia, the Devontae uh, Smith catch. That wasn't yeah, a catch. Like, you know, this was <laughs> – I, I I don't know. It's it's very very frustrating because, it, like you say, I suspect and and honestly, I I think a head a head coach who delegates to his coordinators, I think that's the right model for the best model in terms of having success. But that means, like you say, as a head coach, you damn well better get time management. You better get situational management. You better get the challenge stuff right. You know that's because that's all you're doing. Or maybe on a fourth down play, you're sort of weighing in or making the sort of final decision on whether to go for it or not. But it, it's a very, very um, small set of critical decisions that you're making as a head coach because the play, you know, the, from, from play to play, that's being handled by your coordinators. And I certainly think on the offensive side of the ball, to me, it looks like all indications are that Scott, Scott uh, Turner um, has a pretty broad range of authority. And I mean, he's not making great decisions either in some cases to tell you the truth, but, but I agree, you know, for Ron to be something like, I think he's like one of four on challenges. And I'm guessing that doesn't yes. include. He was one the, and three before that one on, on, yeah. on Sunday. Right. Yes, one and, and four. It doesn't oh include my the aborted one that he missed, you know, where he should have done it. So. One, of, one of five. We going no, we counted on We counted on this show, Cal. One yeah, of five. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, all right. So let's go ahead and get out of here with this, man. What? So two things. Um, And, and I guess we'd be. It's crazy because the defense had an excellent day, man. And I guess if I had to give some some head nods to people, Jack Del Rio, um, we talked about the defensive line, Benjamin St. Juice. There were some people who I saw on Twitter uh, today really trying to put the argument out there that Benjamin St. Juice had a, a bad game. And um, I'm going to circle back to that right quick and, and, and just give continue to give out some more. Jamin Davis, solid. John Bostic, solid. Uh, Bobby McCain, uh, solid as well. Kendall Fuller uh solid um like an overall collective effort of good guys who had good games um uh, uh, uh against the Minnesota Vikings and and back to Benjamin St. Juice uh when you're going up against Justin Jefferson you're going to give up some plays but guess what Kyle when you're in a situation where uh you have to fight back and show like how you compete and how good of a cornerback you are he showed that as well and he showed that in several instances where Justin Jefferson caught a catch like uh that 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 is really what it is, and then on top of that, he took away points from from the Minnesota Vikings. Like he was directly responsible for him for 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 uh, Washington taking away points, taking away seven from Minnesota, and he did it twice. Um, and, and I think people for all of the 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 catches, quote unquote catches that they saw from Justin Jefferson, I put it in quotations because like again, a top tier receiver is going to make some plays. Um, they're ignoring the fact that Benjamin St. Jude literally took points off the board against the Vikings. Um, so, so those are my head nods. I'll give the floor to you, but my question, um, after we, after, if you have any responses or or comments to the defense and head nods to them, uh, my question is what, um, type of game needs to, to that Taylor, Taylor Heineke needs to have against uh, the, the, the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday night to convince anybody that, you know, Carson Wentz, excuse me, on the coaching staff, convince anybody that Carson Wentz uh, has to come back in. Yeah, I'll start with that. I mean, I, I honestly believe, even though I don't think it's the right decision, I believe that uh, 
Heineke has to win in order to against okay. the in, in order to keep Wentz at bay. I think you know a, a valiant loss or anything like that. I think they're going to bring uh, Wentz in, which would be a real shame because honestly, either of them should be able to beat the Texans. You know, I mean, whoever goes in against the Texans is better get a win uh, in that case. But um, you know, I think that that's what it's going to take, and I, of course, that's against the odds. I think if if for Washington to beat uh the eagles it's obviously going to require a uh extraordinary defensive effort and it's going to require taylor to be pretty close to as good as he can be i i I don't see how you beat the eagles with less than let's say like 24 points maybe 21 points if if the defense is just amazing um and so you've got to play uh great defense and pretty error-free um offense and of course the eagles ate our offensive line and it's alive last time so you better have a game plan that takes that into account um i I can't uh agree with you more on ben st juiced i mean i was i was so bummed when when the the pick six was called back i mean i you know i can't i'm not gonna quibble over the call you know the, the refs are could probably much pretty much call defensive pass interference on any play that they wanted to. And I don't, didn't see anything that was there that was like disqualifying in that regard. I think he would have been a hero, uh, you know, had he returned that because the game basically would have been over at that point. Um, but I, I, you know, you're right. I think, especially when you're playing against a Justin, a Justin Jefferson or a Stefan Diggs or, you know, any uh, wide receiver one in in the league, I mean, you've got to assert yourself and sometimes that's going to uh, result in, pass interference, but I'm, I'm really impressed with how the kid's maturing. Um, and I, I don't begrudge it, begrudge him um, those mistakes. I kind of think they're a learning experience. He's still in his second year, you know, uh, he's a third round pick. I think he's going to be, you know, by next year, I think he'll be uh, really reliable. Who knows? Even by, by the end of this season, I wouldn't be surprised if he makes a really a game changing play or two, because he's really rising to the occasion there. So um, I, I have nothing but good things to say about all the defense. Even John Bostic, like you say, looked pretty good in there. I think he um, – I've, I've always thought Bostic was a nice depth linebacker. I mean, there were some people who were griping and groaning when he was signed, you know, right before the season. I'm like, you know, okay, he was your starting linebacker last year. Now he's your now he's your third linebacker. Um, and that's a f- fine place for John Bostic to be. And he's, he's redeemed himself pretty well. Hopefully Holcomb will be back, but we'll see. Um, and I don't know, I just, on the offensive side of the ball, I, I, I've been, um, I've been a little disappointed by uh, Robinson, which, you know, given the circumstances, obviously I don't, I don't hold it against him. It just seems like uh, he maybe lacks a little bit of the explosion that we saw in the preseason. And I think maybe, Maybe it's time to dial up um, a little bit more Antonio Gibson, honestly, on the offensive side of the ball and and get him uh, more involved. I mean, Curtis Samuel, Curtis Samuel continues to be um, look really good. You know, this is what we were hoping for last year, and he just continues to uh, to show he was a good acquisition in that regard. So so I don't know. We'll see what happens. I, th- I do think it's possible to beat the Eagles. Um, but it's going to require almost, like I say, a, a perfect, perfect game on both sides of the ball. And is this team capable of that? I, I don't know. 
sounds good man um yeah this noise is crazy so i think i think we wrapped up at a perfect time uh and, and you know kyle I, I always appreciate you coming through chopping it up on these good wednesdays man we could recap it and preview the next week uh same time next time my man uh stay safe and enjoy the rest of your evening bro appreciate you joining me today you too jamal and good luck with the home improvements <laughs> absolutely they need to hurry up <laughs> I, ain't gonna, I ain't gonna tell them that though <laughs> till next time y'all we'll be back for the game preview uh friday Peace. Peace.